Hello and welcome to another Prestige Purchasing Podcast. We have with us today David Reed, our chairman, and we're just going to be looking at a few things that are um, impacting the industry at the moment, such as what's currently going on, and also obviously taking a look at Brexit and what that's going to mean for uh, the hospitality industry in the next year or so. So first of all, welcome David. Hi Stuart. So let's kick off straight away, get right into it. Uh, what's happening in food supply currently? Well, we've had, we had a number of years of um, low inflation and even deflation um, where uh, suddenly Brexit came along. And we had um, in the middle of last year, um, because of the exchange rates, um, uh, some pretty hefty, almost 10 percent uh, inflation. But it's dropped off earlier this year, but has actually started to rise again recently and is looking somewhat unsettled and unpredictable. Um, there's lots of influences going on now. It seems like a really, really unstable world uh, compared with the one of a few years ago. Mm. Um, there are probably four key areas, Brexit, uh, changes in trade, weather, and some macro trends that are going, going on. Um, for example, um, you know, if you look at fruit pricing uh, recently, um, the summer fruit harvest was really difficult to pick because yeah. um, the farmers didn't really have enough labour. Um, if we look at uh, sugar, for example, uh, that's been affected by the fact that um, the world is suddenly um, eating less sugar. Um, well, actually, that's not quite true. Actually, the the, the growth of sugar has slowed. Sugar consumption so has slowed down. One point four percent at the moment. Uh, it? That's right. It is seven previously. So. Very good. Yeah, uh, but uh, but production is racing ahead. So the, the, the um, Indian market has been producing huge amounts of sugar at a time when actually um, uh, sugar is falling out of fashion. So that so that's causing sugar prices to fall em em enormously. Uh, there are quite a few tr changes in trade emerging, uh, which are affecting commodity markets. You know, um, tr Trump, Trump has suddenly started this uh, tariff battle with China, yep. uh, and that's affecting uh, commodities, uh, particularly uh, oil-based commodities like uh, soya and oils. And of course, you can't turn on the television or the radio at the moment without hearing about um, uh, struggles with uh, vegetable farming, particularly, yeah. um, but also uh, dairy farming. Who, who, you know, many dairy farmers are now onto winter feeds, um, and so that's going to be a problem. But probably the other one to watch out for right now is um, globally. The wheat harvest has been a bit of a, or it looks like it's going to be a bit of a disaster in the northern hemisphere, and uh, that's after yeah. some pretty poor uh, results in the south. The um, the German wheat harvest is uh, its lowest since two thousand and three or something like that. Oh, I moment, think that it? may well be right. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, but it, essentially, wheat prices are hurtling up at the moment, um, and they, they they haven't been particularly low. So, mm. we are going to see. I mean, there's so many things that are impacted by, by wheat, and of course, when when uh, when wheat prices go up, it affects um, all sorts of other grain prices, which in turn yeah. affects feed costs. Uh, so it will feed through elsewhere into the system. Yeah. Not good. So it's a painful market right now. Do operators just need to take the pain and get on with it? Well, that's an interesting question. I, I've heard that said. Um, you know, I've heard operators saying, well, you know, we just have to suck the cost thing up and we just have to focus on driving sales. Mm. Um, m my view could not be more opposite, really. I, I think this is 
a moment when uh, when really focusing on supply chain is is a, is a way of uh, taking risk out of um, uh, out of uh, the performance of the business. You know, most caterers spend twenty five to thirty five percent of their revenues uh, on uh, on food, drink, and other costs. And you know, suppliers they do a great job, but they have shareholders too, and their sales. Uh, in this flat market, are, uh, are difficult to grow. So they're always looking to try and push margin and push price. At, you know, rightly in my view. Um, but the majority of caterers, um, uh, we believe, are running. Well, we, not we believe. We know are running uh, two to four percent of margin suboptimal, mm. uh, just because they're not running their supply chains as efficiently and as effectively as they could. Yeah. And for many, that's 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 kind of more money than you know. I've had a lot of lot of people complaining and operators complaining about you know the increases in business rates but that level of um, uh, of opportunity is larger in cash terms than the business rates opportunity and you know put simply I think I think buying uh, is more and more about great process great people and great data yeah. uh, yet when we first engage with clients we find opportunities in abundance around all three of those areas so my message is don't take the pain understand the opportunities and then go off and fix it yeah absolutely so come on what will happen to food supply during brexit then you, you should know more than anybody else. I am. I'm not a time lord, and I, I certainly can't see into the future. It, it really depends on on what happens. So, are there are there scenario, scenarios that can play out? Are there certain certain ways it can happen? Well, I, th- I think there are probably four scenarios um, uh, in play right now. Um, the, the 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 first option, I guess, or first scenario would be. Uh, leave the EU with a withdrawal agreement um, on time. Um, you know, the, the, the UK and the EU both insist that they want an, an amicable divorce um, with a legal agreement setting out the kind of relationship they will have when the UK is not a member of the club anymore. Yeah. And Theresa May wants to, wants, she stated very clearly, she wants to keep close ties with the EU in certain areas. And encouragingly, those are things like trade in agricultural products and uh, and skilled migrant access to jobs in the UK, which I think is a really good reflection of some of the excellent lobbying work that's been undertaken by people in uh, in our sector um, uh, with regard to hospitality and food. Um, she, of course, has, uh, has um, uh, produced a plan which was went through the checkers process recently, um, which will allow Britain to take back control of its laws, money and borders. Uh, at least that's what she says, just like people voted for in the uh, 2016 referendum, uh, whilst also allowing frictionless trade, um, or at least as much as possible, and avoiding a physical border a uh, hard border, as it's referred to, for Northern Ireland, yeah. but it but it's been attacked, as everyone's read in the press, as unworkable, uh, you know, as a sort of unworkable compromise by people from both the Remain and Leave ends of the debate, and of course the EU may also decide to reject it because it's not agreed with them. We've been negotiating with ourselves for the last yeah. six months, uh, but the two sides are still uh, hoping to strike some kind of deal by the autumn, and despite criticism and ministerial resignations. Mrs. May believes that this one is the best option. Yeah. So is there an option two then? 
Well, option two is the opposite of that. It's um, it's uh, leave uh, the EU without a withdrawal agreement. And um, that, in effect, is a clean break with the EU. The UK would fall back on its membership of the World Trade Organization, uh, which, of course, everyone knows is the global uh, body governing international trade. And uh, UK exports to the EU would be subject to uh, the same customs checks and taxes that the EU currently imposes on countries like the United States. Mm. So those arguing for that option, who are you know, generally known as the Rees-Moggers or the hard, hard Brexiteers, say it would create a truly independent nation able to strike its own beneficial trade deals around the world. Um, but opponents, of course, say it would be a catastrophe for British business and have warned about chaos at the borders and higher prices and shortages in the shops. Yeah, slightly more worrying option, I guess. What's option three then? Well, option three is is, is not particularly um, uh, prevalent at the moment, but that's obviously, uh, in my view, it's fairly obvious, is stay in the EU. Mm. I mean, w- w- the UK has formally triggered the mechanism to leave the EU at uh, 11 o'clock um, in the evening on the 29th of March 2019. And to reverse that at this stage would mean a huge loss of political face for the government. Yeah. Uh, so it would probably require a new prime minister to do it uh, with the backing of voters in a general election. Election. Yeah. And with time going the way it is at the moment, that doesn't look particularly likely. However, Donald Tusk, in his infinite wisdom, has said he believes Brexit can be halted. But there is some debate about whether the Article 50 process is actually reversible. Mm. Um, and if the UK did leave and wanted to immediately rejoin, it would need all of the other EU members to agree. And in these kind of time frames, doesn't look very likely. Um, A less formal version and perhaps a more achievable one of staying in the EU might be if the UK strikes a deal that keeps it in the EU's trade arrangements, the customs union, the single market, and agrees to free movement of people in the jurisdiction of the European Court of Justice. This would, of course, amount to staying in the EU, or at least the Brexiteers would argue that. So there is a fourth option, isn't there? There is. There is. Although this isn't perhaps an option, it's more um, one of the things that might happen that might drive the other three options. Um, uh, And that's hold another uh, referendum. And the UK government has formally ruled it out, but there have been a number of people calling for a fresh vote, including people like Justin Greening and at least two former prime ministers. Yeah. both houses must vote on a final deal, though, if one if one does emerge prior to you know, a withdrawal deal, that is. Mm. But with Parliament apparently split over what kind of Brexit it wants, a referendum on the final deal agreed by Theresa May in Brussels might yet end up being the only way to break the deadlock. Yeah. So those campaigning for another referendum say voters should get the final say, including the option of staying in. Though it's worth saying that Labour's leadership say a general election should be uh, should be held rather than another referendum. I wonder why. <laughs> I've been hearing in the news though that, that option two is is a nightmare scenario. Uh, leave without a deal, and we'll run out of food, and it'll be absolute chaos. Is that really true? Well, I think the first thing to say is that that, um, no deal can be a confusing term because there are, in fact, several potential potential deals waiting to be done in the Brexit Mm. process. The the main two uh, deals are, first of all, the the EU withdrawal agreement, which needs to be finalised and ratified 
before the the UK leaves the EU, yeah. and the second is an agreement on what the future UK uh, to EU relationship will look like. Now, negotiations on that future relationship, which was the focus of the recent Brexit white paper, mm. uh, looks set to continue during the transitional period after Brexit has taken place. And I'm not sure everyone has really clocked that. That you know, it, mm. that, that that particular paper, I think, is going to evolve and run and run. Although some of the content of it will go into the withdrawal agreement. Um, but uh, when people talk about preparing for no deal at the moment, they mean the prospect of failing to reach agreement on the terms of departure, which are being negotiated under the Article 50 Treaty. So it's these Article 50 negotiations led by Barnier for the EU and uh, Dominic Raab for the UK, which are supposed to end with, with a withdrawal agreement. And if those talks fail, we're heading for a no deal Brexit. Mm. And the reason that is now back in the headlines at the moment and why it's what everybody's focusing on is that, is that time is running short. So the two-year period outlined by Article 50 comes to an end on, on 29th of March 2019. And by then, all 28 countries of the EU um, uh, have to uh, vote for it. And indeed, if there is to be any extension of that 29th of March deadline, which I suspect many will be driving towards, yeah. uh, the 28 countries will also have to agree that extension. So it will have to be done um, uh, a little bit before them. Um, if we are going to have a withdrawal agreement, it also needs to be signed off by those 28 countries. So the agreement certainly needs to be done kind of well before Christmas to enable that process to happen. Yeah. Um, so and it's also worth pointing out that if we don't agree a withdrawal agreement and and or um, uh, the 28 nations um, don't sign it off for whatever reason, <clears throat> then there would be no transition period after Brexit. So it yeah. might be a bit bit messy and uh, in that case there would be an, a, an abrupt rupture in UK-EU relations. Uh, so we do need to take, um, uh, to take no deal pretty seriously in my view. Mm. So what would happen next? Well, in the event that there was a no deal, very suddenly like that, there would be an, an immediate implementation of the basic rules of WTO, something which a lot of Brexit supporters say they'd be perfectly happy with. Uh, but a lot of businesses, especially those that rely on just-in-time manufacturing supply chains, have been making a lot of noise and, and trying to uh, not let that happen. Yeah. Um, falling back on WTO rules would, of course, also mean the reintroduction of a hard border between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland, and quite how border controls would actually be set up in Ireland in the first few days after a no-deal Brexit is actually far from clear. But no deal, it is worth saying, is something both sides say they are determined to avoid. And I think we should take some comfort from that because I think mm. there is uh, the pragmatism will emerge later in the process, I suspect. Let's hope so. So is the government actually planning for a no deal situation? Well, the UK says it's um, stepping up contingency planning. It's a good mm. question. Uh, throughout August and September... Um, individual departments will be publishing a set of around 70 technical notices to help businesses uh, and citizens and consumers prepare for March 2019 in the event of no deal. Mm. Um, the most important issue, though, is timing, because if both sides conclude that the negotiations will not succeed and that no deal is highly likely, they will at least have a few months to prepare for it. Um, but if there is a last-minute hitch 
that would prove extremely challenging. That's when people talk of a cliff-edge Brexit. Mm. We keep being told that nothing is agreed until everything is agreed, and that statement in itself could be a huge gamble. Yeah. And, of course, what happens if the UK government falls this autumn without a deal and the EU, the EU has no one to negotiate with? Yeah. I, the answer's on a postcard, please. <laughs> I've, I've no idea what will happen then. Yeah. So is stockpiling food now being planned for? Um, well, the government has said whilst they hope and expect a deal to be done, they are making emergency preparations for the potential interruption of vital supplies like fresh food now that they have said planning for a no deal is being stepped up. Mm. Uh, but personally, I, I've got a lot of doubts about this because I, I'm, I, I can't imagine warehouses suddenly being filled with emergency rations to see the nation through as if we're on some kind of war footing. Yeah. Um, I, I've not heard of anyone who's been approached by government to start redirecting any food to some sort of emergency reserve. But actually, it wouldn't work anyway, as 50% of the food we eat is either fresh or chilled. Mm. So warehousing just wouldn't help. And perhaps more importantly, there simply isn't any slack in the supply chain to do it. There, there are no slightly underpacked lorries running around the place or empty warehouses available to do it at the kind of scale that would be required. So, so to suggest it could even be done is, I think, pretty naive. Is that really true? Well, well, look at the beast. Probably the best, most recent example would be the beast from the east. Yeah. That was essentially two days of pretty vicious snow, and it resulted in empty shelves for some products appearing in some kitchens and supermarkets. Mm. Uh, crashing out the EU without a deal could, uh, assuming that we don't waive the tariffs that we are due to collect, uh, potentially see the ports overwhelmed. Mm. Uh, that would cause gridlock around certain areas, certainly um, uh, Lowestoft and, um, and Dover and so on. Um, so, you know, we, we, we could be in a position where for days and weeks there are really significant food supply problems. And I think the government will be terrified of doing that, which yeah. will force real pragmatism around a withdrawal deal. Um, the only thing I've heard about is that you know, obviously most supply chains rely on a lot of fresh food from the southern hemisphere in the winter uh, and the northern hemisphere from spring onwards. And it seems that some uh, in the market are examining the possibility of their southern hemisphere sourcing being extended longer into next spring. Mm. Uh, but that's that's about all I've heard. Yeah. Uh, Look, to, to the extent to which we will see shortages of food availability is debatable, but even if this is minimal, a crash out would see uh, prices rise. Mm. If, if you're suddenly operating on WTO rules, then clearly there are going to be price increases in some goods and the changes in demand for supplies from inside and outside the EU will also push up prices. As well, of, of course, if we do crash out, the pound will crash again yeah. like it did when the vote happened uh, and that will push up prices further yeah. so that, that it's, it's not it doesn't look good if that happens and i think for that reason it's probably fairly unlikely um the the the, the real option in terms of solving a potential food shortage and, and i think it will be exercised if uh, it looks like we're going to run out of food is that we'll simply extend the article 50 deadline but there are challenges with that, as I've mentioned earlier. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a near-term risk of, of no Brexit deal. 
assuming that we do complete um, a withdrawal agreement, are we then out of the woods on uh, food inflation? Well, I'm afraid that's another uh, depends answer. Um, mm. But let's assume that, say, the Prime Minister's plan goes through broadly as it stands. Mm -hmm. um, uh, then, uh, then, yes, the issues regarding uh, frictionless and tariff-free trade on imported goods uh, and, to a large degree, the availability of labour for the UK food supply chain will go away. And that, that's, that's, a, that's pretty uh, massive. Yeah, um, but of course, all of the issues will not be fully resolved. And uh, in particular, what happens on uh, the common agricultural policy and the common fishes, fisheries policy, uh, as these rights um, will be, um, if we leave the EU, will be renegotiated and repatriated back into the UK. Now, it's just worth saying, I've said it many times before, um, uh, common, the common agricultural policy represents half of farming incomes today. And from what we understand from DEFRA, there's going to be a conversion uh, of, um, of straight subsidy into incentives uh, and invest, you know, to, to create investment in standards and animal welfare and environmental issues. Um, yeah. But there may well be a drag on the central cash from things like the NHS and so on. So whether all of the cash will go into back into farming is uh, is yet to be confirmed uh, from from a fishing perspective it's actually i think quite a good um uh, thing that we're leaving the the eu because uh 50 of our fish is caught and taken to the eu um and uh, that will rise i think to probably about 90 percent um of the fish staying here um albeit we may well then export it as we choose oh, yeah. to uh, so that will probably be a good thing but I guess the, the 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 key point about all this Brexit stuff is don't expect it uh, all to end in December 2020 uh, when the transitional period uh, is um, is over. The politics will run and run and run on this for, for well probably the rest of my life I suspect. Yeah, I guess that's possible. Uh, well, thank you very much. That was our chairman, David Reed. there. Um, as always, don't forget to sign up for our News Bites if you're not already a member. It's a monthly newsletter that covers all of the goings-on within food and hospitality supply chain. You can sign up on our website. That's www.prestige-purchasing.com. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next time.